Um, here along the coast, the, the Jackson County Jail is right there in the middle of town, and uh, ours is visible. And, and usually jails are put away from places because we just want to put that out of our minds, out of sight, out of mind, right? But here's the problem. The, the reality is there's a lot of things that, that are out of sight, out of mind that still affect us. That's right. Right? And that's kind of what I want to focus on today is, is we can think that these guys are just locked away, these men and women that are in there. You know, we'll just say they're inmates and they're put away from us. But, but I tell everybody, every inmate is actually an individual. And they're people. They're men and women. And, and they have... I'm going to tell you right now, they have incredible potential. Right now, there's probably about 700 people in Harrison County. When I say that, I mean the adult detention center. There's a lot more than that in Harrison County. Uh, but there's about 700 people in Harrison County. And if you needed a roof put on, a wall put up, sheetrock hung, electrical work, a cook, a driver, almost anything you would need to build a whole town... We have people with the skills to do it right there. The problem is they're not doing what they could do. They're not reaching their potential. They're not being the mothers and fathers that they could be. And yes, it's because of crime, but ultimately it's because of sin, right? And, and the cure for sin is what good news is all about. So, so that's what I want to kind of focus on today. And, and one of the things, we actually have just gone through a name change. So there's some uh, newsletters on the back. As you're going out today, you can pick one of those up. And you'll notice uh, on my shirt, I have the old emblem. I don't have any new shirts. We just changed our name literally a few weeks ago. And I don't have my new shirts yet, so I'm wearing it. I was talking to my wife, should I wear the old symbol? I don't know if I should even wear that. But, but uh, we were called Good News Jail and Prison Ministry. And, and that kind of tells you who we are. Uh, they changed the name to Good News Global, and the reason for that was because Good News is a global ministry. Mm. We have about 300 chaplains overseas and only about Amen. 75 or so. I think there's 77 now here in the States. Um, so we're more overseas than we are here, but each one of those ministries has a chaplain, just like me, that, that in that ministry, you know, I tell people, I know it's a global thing, but for me, it's all Harrison County because that's where I am. And that's where I do ministry. And, and I just want to let you know that the men and the women incarcerated there, those are people. Yes. And if, if we can show them what God has done in, in, in the songs, I, I listen to these lyrics and I think about what I want to say, and I'm like, yeah, what that song said, you know, th there's power in the blood of Jesus. Amen. Right? Amen. And if they will come to understand that, it will be a life-transforming moment just like for me or anyone else who gets saved where, where God says, I will cleanse you of your sin and I will create you all new. Amen. Right. And, and, and sometimes we have a hard time thinking that way because those of us who have gone into the jail, we see that people come back over and over again. But let me tell you, if, if they will walk in obedience, I'll never see them at the jail. And that's the key, isn't it? It's not just believing that there is a God. The devil believes there is a God. The devil believes that Jesus was born and lived a perfect life, and he knows he died on the cross, and he knows he resurrected. But he doesn't humble himself and recognize him as Lord. He stands in rebellion against him. 
And that's where we all are as sinners. Every individual that's incarcerated, the reason we need to help them is because they are created in God's image and we are God's ambassadors. Amen. That's our mission here, right? And those people need to know the Lord. If we don't help them, the consequences are many. Not just for the individuals that are there. Like I said, those people, they're, they're mothers and fathers. And, and sin becomes a generational thing when parents raise their children to continue in the same sin. Right? The kids grow up doing, seeing their parents do it. So guess what they're going to do when they grow up? They're going to do the same thing. How many of your children grew up speaking a different language than what you talked to them? None of them, right? <laughs> they learn the language you speak. You speak English in the home, your, your babies grow up and speak English. You speak Spanish, they'll speak Spanish. This happens all over the world. We're influenced by those around us. We have to be an influence in Harrison County. And what, what Good News wants to do is we want to walk in there and we want to make a difference. Now, I tell people it's like fishing. You do a lot of casting and just a little bit of catching. But if any of you like to fish, if you do a little bit of catching, that's a good day. You don't expect to catch a fish with every cast. But if you catch a few, you go home happy. We catch a few. There's a few men and women whose lives have been impacted. Now, a lot of the people that have been changed, I'll never see them again, right? because they're never coming where I am. But, but if we don't help them, it becomes a generational thing where another generation grows up to repeat the same thing they saw their parents doing. And what that does to a community is it brings, it brings a whole community into this criminal cycle where the whole, the whole community is negatively impacted. Just locking people away is not the gospel answer. Setting them free actually is. Right? Jesus didn't come to lock us all away. He didn't have to come to do that. He could have just held court and condemned us all as sinners guilty in his court. But he came and said, I've come to set you free. One time when I was walking in the zones in the jail, I was, I was dressed kind of like this with my shirt tucked in. I don't always have my shirt tucked in. Sometimes... There's a balance as a chaplain that you want to kind of hit, right? You, you want to look approachable, and at the same time, you want to look somewhat professional. You don't, you don't want to look so churchy that the men and women incarcerated won't talk to you. That's a failure. You don't want to look intimidating. You, you, you want to look approachable. But, but, but I guess that day I was, you know, a little dressy looking, and a guy said, hey, are you, are you a lawyer? I said, no, no, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> I, said, I said, lawyers try to get you out of jail. I'm trying to set you free, right? Lawyers may be able to get you cleared of your charges, but you can be released and not set free. Or you can be incarcerated and be set free. I've seen it both ways. I want to set people free. Um, in the newsletter, if you look at it back there, you, you'll realize that that uh, we give out a lot of Bibles. Um, if, if you know Miss Nellie back there, she, uh, she grades thousands upon thousands of Bible lessons. She has a few folks helping her, all right? <laughs> but, 
But listen, what we're doing is we're putting the word of God in front of people. So far this year, I've given out over 1,100 Bibles. All right? Now, now some of those Bibles um, don't get used that much. But some of them get used a lot. I actually gave a guy a second Bible this year. I gave him one back at the very beginning of the year. And he asked me for a Bible. I said, I already gave you one. He says, yeah, but I have worn that thing out. And uh, it's been used. You know, they have to be paperbacks in there so they don't last forever. But listen, we want to put the gospel in front of people. I mean, that is literally what we're trying to do. But in doing that, we have a, we have a big impact. See, people are incarcerated because of a specific charge, but the charge is not really what the problem is. You know that, right? If, if somebody is, is committing a crime that's wrong and they need to stop, that's true. But we have to ask a, a bigger question of why are they doing this? When somebody is in criminal activity, it's really just a symptom of a bigger problem. The bigger problem, I think, is an identity crisis, right? See, they've been born into a sin nature that we inherited if we go all the way back. The Bible says we inherit that from the very first man and woman, right? Adam sinned, and therefore we inherited our sin nature. But there was a second Adam who came, and we have an option to be born again. But if, if people are caught up in this original identity of a sin nature, then, then they ask questions like, who am I? They ask questions like, why am I even here on this planet? What's life really all about? Why should I live different than I want? And, and the answers they get to that are, are dead ends. But see, in the gospel... Matter of fact, in the scripture, I can answer all of those questions. In the scriptures, we can answer every one of those questions and give them direction on how they should live, why they are here, what their purpose is. You know, let's bring a sacrifice of praise to the God who created us. That's why we're here, right? You know, when you come together on Sunday, you come with a purpose. We're not just here hanging out. We come intentionally. And when people begin to understand, I was created on purpose. God loves me and created me for a purpose. God has made provision for me to take me out of my sinful life and give me a new life. When they realize that, they, they begin to have a, a reason to live differently. A reason to fight against the sinful nature that the Bible calls the flesh and begin to walk in the spirit. So, so. When I go into the jail, and, and I have a whole group of volunteers that come in and help me. I don't do it all by myself at all. But, but the challenge for us is this, is, is we need to teach men and women who are incarcerated that there really is a purpose to your life. You really do have a direction to go. And, and what we're doing is we're showing them what it means to live according to the Scripture. I, I, quickly, I want to share two verses with you. I, I've got a whole bunch of what I call jail verses in my Bible, right? Every time, I, every time I stumble, I want to go, oh, that's perfect for the jail, you know? So I want to share them real quick here. Uh, in, in 1 Timothy 1.5, it says this, The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Now, now Paul gives you three different things there, right? The conscience, the faith, and the heart. 
But he says, all of that has to come because our whole goal is to love people. When we go into the jail, we see some people. I, I talked to a guy yesterday. I told my wife, I said, if I saw him on the street, he would be unapproachable to me. But in the jail, I was drawn to him. Because I know he needs to know what I know. Now, he was raised in church, but he has lived a very dark life. He was in a gang. He's in his 30s now. He's been in a gang since he was about 13 to 15. Somewhere in there, he was fully into the gang. He says, I'm going to spend the many, many years in a maximum security prison when I leave here. He already knows that. He says, it's going to be a place full of violence and darkness. And I said, how were you raised? He told me he was raised in church. And I said, okay. And I talked to him for probably about 15 or 20 minutes about what it means to come back to the Lord. Right? I talked to him about what it means to come back to the Lord. Here's a guy that he, he has evil tattooed on one of his eyelids. And I said, what's on the other one? He said, well, it used to say works. But he had that one blackened out. But he said, it's so painful to get your eyelids tattooed that he, he didn't get the evil blacked out yet because it just hurts so much. This is a life that, this is a guy who's lived a life so different than mine that, that I can't believe that we live on the same planet. But he needs the same gospel that I heard and he needs to know that, that Jesus can redeem him. By the end of our conversation, I was telling him, you need to come back to the Jesus Christ that you heard about as a kid. You need to come back. And when you go into that maximum security prison, you need to be a light. And the darker it is, the brighter your light will shine. And it may be dangerous for you to do that. But it's more dangerous not to. When we love people and our hearts are right and our faith is right, God will come in and do something. God will do something. I know i got to hurry because i only got a few minutes here, but I want to share one more verse with you, and that's in Galatians chapter 5. All right? In Galatians 5, it says this, For you were called to freedom. That's a really good verse to talk about in jail because that's a good word, right? You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Again, the same theme as the first one, right? There's this foundation of love in what we do. Christ sets us free. If you've accepted Jesus Christ, you're free, but you're not free to indulge your flesh. He sets you free from that. You're free to serve one another in love. And that's what we try to do at the jail each and every day. All right. Yes, ma'am. Okay.
He's here local. He's at Harrison County. Okay, I'll get with you after church. Give me his name. I'll be there tomorrow. Uh, I'll go see him. That's how that works. <laughs> I get a name. I look him up. I go find him. <laughs> you know? They're not going nowhere. I got them. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I just go find them. Uh, the idea here is you see in both the verses I shared, there's this, there's this foundation of love. You know that is literally the foundation of everything Christ did for us because he loved us, right? And, and so when we, when we become a part of the body, he is the head and we are the body. We are his hands and feet loving people. And that happens both in the jail and the community. The reality is most of these guys that I talk to in jail, they're going to be in the community again. Very few of them stay in prison forever. Okay, most people are going to get released and be in our community. If we don't reach them, they, can sit, they continue the same destructive cycle that they've been doing, and it just repeats again. But, yeah, let me get with you after, after the, the message, okay? All right, thank you, folks. theme of a month of thankfulness, I wanted to share with you the story of a gentleman. His name is Desmond Doss. He was a United States Army corporal who served as a combat medic with an infantry company in World War II. The thing that makes him unusual, in fact, makes him different from any other corporal that served, he went in and refused to carry a weapon into combat because of his personal beliefs of a Seventh-day Adventist against killing. Uh, He was actually given permission, although those in higher authority thought he was crazy to do so. So the only job they found that they could give him was a medic. He was assigned to the 2nd Platoon Company B, 1st Battalion. He was twice awarded the Bronze Star Medal for Actions on Guam and in the Philippines for exceptional value in aiding wounded soldiers under fire. Some of these men were the same men who gave him a hard time, called his manhood and his courage into question, and he continued to reach out. But what really makes him stand out, he further distinguished himself in the Battle of Okinawa. They're not exactly sure how many people he saved, but by the numbers of how many went in and how many came back, Desmond Doss saved an estimated 75 men acting totally on his own. He was wounded four times in Okinawa. Uh, He was evacuated May 21, 1945 aboard the USS Mercy. And while they were carrying him out, already suffering wounds, a sniper's bullet caught him in the elbow. He's being carried to safety, and he gets one more wound. He also carried within his body 17 pieces of shrapnel. And that happened when he tried to kick a grenade away from himself and the other comrades around him. He was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor for his actions in Okinawa. He is the only person 
who bore the call of conscientious objector to ever be awarded that Congressional Medal of Honor. There was a movie made about him not too long ago, Hacksaw Ridge, and it's available on streaming. I highly recommend it. But Dawes truly personified the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 15, 30, 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Desmond Doss proved his heroism. He was not a coward. He was not less than a man. He proved it by his willingness to die for his comrades if necessary. Time and time again, he would get them, bring them to the edge of the, the ridge, help them lower down. Today, Chaplain Tony's already tra- touched as our songs have, the reality that the Lord Jesus Christ was not only willing to die for the lost, he actually became the sacrifice of God for our sins. His willingness to lay down his life for a friend came from his perspective. The people he gave his life for were at war with God. And he showed us a willingness to sacrifice himself, and we are thankful for that sacrifice. I'd ask you to stand as we look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 10 through 16. And I want you again to listen with both ears and your heart. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of the animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we, have look, we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifice God is pleased. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. The writer of Hebrews emphasized the superiority of Christ throughout the whole book. He's better than Moses, he's better than the law, he's better than angels, and his sacrifice is better than what went on before. And that's the whole point when he says, we have an altar to eat from that those who worked in the tabernacle could not. Christ's sacrifice came to bring holiness into the lives of those who would confess him and receive him. So our hearts are turned to an active life, or called to turn to an active life of thankfulness because of the Lord's sacrifice and what he did for us. So we're going to take a look at the reasons for thankfulness because Christ died. To begin with, thankful hearts are drawn to identify with the Lord. This is so crucially important here. They are drawn to identify, not just to say, I want Jesus as my Savior, but I want to follow him. I want to live for him. I want 
his love to become my love. I want his willingness to become mine. And the writer of Hebrews, as he shared this, the writer of Hebrews called his readers to go to Jesus outside the camp. It's interesting that the the writer of Hebrews often refers to the tabernacle rather than the temple. Sometimes he does talk about the temple. But here he's talking about the tabernacle. And he said, just as the bodies of the sacrifice would be taken outside of the camp and burned, Jesus went outside the gate. Folks, Al Mohler has pointed out, we don't often think about, I know I rarely do, we don't think about what happened to those carcasses that were sacrificed. We do know that some of them, the portion of the meat went to the priest, but we don't think about the rest. The writer of Hebrews tells us and reminds us they were taken outside of the camp. Why? Because had they been burned inside the camp, it would have defiled the camp. So, as a sign, this sin has got to go. They would be taken out and burned. Would have defiled the city. And so the writer then said, Jesus went outside this gate of the city. If you look at John's record of the crucifixion, found in John 19, verses 17 through 20, we are told that Jesus was compelled by the Romans to carry his cross to Golgotha. Golgotha was outside the city gate. Just like the sacrifices of old would be taken without, so the sacrifice that was the perfect sacrifice was taken outside the gate. It was greater than the old. The writer of Hebrews says the reason God had this, the priest continually offer these sacrifices is because they didn't last. When Christ came, he said, going outside of the camp to sacrifice, through his blood, he actually makes people holy. He sanctifies them. They're now part of the body of Christ. And so he said, just like Jesus went out, he then says, let us Go to him outside the camp bearing his disgrace. Identifying with him. Coming to him. Being willing to walk away from the security of what they had known to come into an adventure that they could barely understand. Let's go outside the camp. Now what does that mean for us? Well, folks, going outside the camp means actually three things. It means three things, this willingness. First of all, it means a willingness to go the way of the cross. When Jesus was calling people to him, have you ever noticed how many times in the Gospels it sounds like Jesus is trying to keep people from following him? He says, if you're, if you're wanting to follow me, you're going to have to die, deny yourself and what? Take up the cross and follow me daily. Folks, when Jesus said take up the cross, he wasn't talking about your, your, your gout in your toe or your uh, hard hearing or sight. Or It meant one thing. You need to be willing to go with me all the way to death. Jesus Christ was calling us. 
And in that text, not only do we identify being willing to go to the cross, we are saying, I'm willing to bear the disgrace that you bore. I'm willing to let my life be lived for you to such an extent that those outside of the faith may actually hate me, may turn away from me. Uh, Chaplain Tony and I were talking a little bit before service, and he pointed out the minute people find out I'm a pastor, the conversation changes. Very often they have apologized for their foul language. And if I know them well enough, I say, well, God hears it all the time. You don't need to be worried about me. I grew up in a, a, a military home. I'm used to this language. A willingness to say, I'm going to live for you, no matter what the cost. It also means a willingness to move into a world that does not know Christ. The call to go outside of the camp is a call for us folks to move away from our safe, our comfort zones. It is so easy to talk about Jesus in this place, right? We're safe. We know that we can talk about the Lord and nobody's going to ridicule us. No one's going to attack us. This is safety. But we're to go outside of that safety zone. We're to go outside and into a world that is sometimes hostile to us, sometimes not wanting to hear, and that's where we go. And folks, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus actually prayed to the Father, and you need to hear this, John 17, 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Don't let the evil ultimately defeat them. But Father, I know they have to stay in the world. Because how else will the world hear? In this world, our stand for Jesus will sometimes bring hostility. But we must be willing to stand with him out of the safety of this building going into the world. And finally, it means a willingness to trust the pioneer of our faith. We need to understand that this is Jesus calling us. Are we willing to trust him? Are we willing to say, I will go outside the camp, Jesus, because I know you'll be with me. And I know you'll guide me. And I know your spirit will give me the words I need to say. I'm willing to go out. And if we have learned to really trust him, then we will learn he's worthy of that trust. So we must live what we have learned. So in the end, folks, what this means for us, what, am I, what is this passage calling us to do? We must be willing to go wherever our Lord leads us. Wherever he leads, I'll go, we sing in a, in a hymn. I've known men who have said to God, I'll surrender to the call of ministry, but can you keep me within 50 miles of home? Some of my family has never understood how God could keep calling me out of Texas and why he would take me to Mississippi and why he would take me to Biloxi why he would have me go on a, a mission trip to China and to Ukraine. Why would he do these things? Well, I don't always know why. But I know when God leaves the where, he'll be with me.
no matter what. And the gratitude that we have because Jesus Christ was willing to sacrifice himself, that thankfulness, continually remembering what he did, will enable us to go out into a world with a heart of thankfulness, no matter what happens. So thankful hearts are drawn to identify with Christ, to follow him outside the gate, to follow him into a world, to speak the truth. And thankful hearts are looking forward to a glorious future. And we can thank the writer of Hebrews because he, he nails something here for us. Because of that sacrifice, because of that willing to go outside the camp, he says, folks, there's something important here for you to know. The writer of Hebrews was telling them, these sojourners, these pilgrimage, the writer pointed to his readers to a city which is to come. He says, we're able to do this because we don't have a continuing city here. Folks, some of you grew up in the same place. You stayed your whole youth and childhood in one place. Folks, for seven years in a row, you know this. I've told you this. I was a new kid in school. Seven years in a row. We moved around a lot. Some of my family that said, why would, why would God lead you? And bless her heart, my mom said, he's just doing what we did. You know, go, go where we're led. Just, in dad's case, it was the Air Force. Here we're called to remember their hope was not in a fading city. It was in the enduring city of God. They were waiting for a city that would show up when God would bring everything to a close and they would enter into the heavenly Jerusalem fully and finally, completely in the total presence of God. And it's because of that city the writer is saying, you're going to be able to endure whatever hostility you find, whatever difficulty, because you're looking for a better world that is in the hand of God. Folks, you and I, we must remember that we are pilgrims on a journey. We spent a long time looking at Abraham this year. And like Abraham... We have a hope of something better. The writer of Hebrews in the 11th chapter says that he was looking for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We're looking for the same city. And we have to remember, this world as it is now is not home. We're pilgrims. Now you may be a pilgrim for a very short amount of years. You may be a pilgrim for a very long time in years. But in light of eternity, it's all going to be short. This is not our final destination. We are meant for something more. Christ has given us a home for which we hunger all through the journey of faith. All along the journey. If you truly know Christ, there is part of you that says there's something more. Folks, we must be willing to keep our eyes on the prize of our faith. Because one day, one day we won't be homesick anymore. One day, we will enter into the fullness of the kingdom of God. 
joining the company of saints throughout the ages, together serving the Lord, together sharing. Don Wilson wrote a, very, a beautiful song, uh, Finally Home. I just want to read the last verse for you. Just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven, of touching a hand and finding it's God's, of breathing new air and finding it celestial, of waking up in glory and finding it home. One day we won't be homesick anymore. We'll be home. And the Word of God tells us everything we endure is worth it all when we stand before our God, Creator, our Savior. The Spirit moves freely among us. Finally, thankful hearts offer a sacrifice of praise that results in a sacrifice of service. You need to hear both of that. The praise will result in service. We're not here to praise God so we feel bubbly and cheerful here. It's calling us to something more. And the writer called his readers to a sacrifice of praise growing out of all Christ had accomplished. Let us go outside the camp. Let us bear the disgrace he bore. And let us learn to offer a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, confessing his name. That is who we're called to be, what we're called to do. Their sacrifice was not going to be found in a lamb. There there are no more blood sacrifices. Christ gave the perfect sacrifice. The sacrifice they're being called upon is a fruit of lips that Confess his name. The writer of Hebrews does a lot of allusions to the Old Testament. This is one of them. That phrase, fruit of lips, is actually taken directly from Hosea 14.2. The second part of that verse says, as, as Hosea is talking about finding forgiveness, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Grant Osborne has pointed out about this text, part of the life of faith involves taking a bold public stance for Christ and with Christ's church professing his name before a watching world. Folks, yes, I love coming to be with my brothers and sisters in worship. I love it. But if this is all we are doing in the kingdom of God, We are missing our call. There will come a time when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But Osborne writes, until that day, God's people lead the way by making that public profession before the world, even at a great cost, calling people to allegiance to Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Romans, how will they know about salvation? Only if they hear. And how will they hear if nobody tells them? And how will they tell if they don't understand their sin? Folks, 
If you know Jesus Christ, Paul's not talking about professional clergymen. All of us are sent into this world to share. And what will happen then, he says, let's bring the sacrifice of praise, fruit of our lips, confessing Jesus, confessing his name, saying he is Lord, he is Savior, he is my Christ. Then, he says, there's another sacrifice. Our sacrifice is not worshiping God alone. And don't forget to do good and share with others. In other words, they were to act on their faith. Act on it through a compassionate love that comes because we know the Christ who died for us was compassionate about people. Even those people that we have the tendency to walk on the other side of the road when we see them coming. Compassion. They were to actively love people. For us that means our lives are meant to thankfully sing out all that Christ has done. We are to be telling not just each other here in worship, but confessing his name to everyone, sharing the greatest good you can ever do for anyone is to let them know the Lord Jesus Christ. I read a story many years ago. I don't know if it's true. I want it so badly to be true. A little boy went to Sunday school for his very first time. And when he comes home and his mom is asking him all about it, he said, it was fun, it was good. And then he's kind of reflecting on his own life and how things happen. And he said, the teacher talked about Jesus a lot. I think she must be his grandmother. Because grandparents are notorious for talking about their grandkids. I've got some pictures if you're interested. Folks. We need to understand something here. We need to ask, do people hear us talk about our Savior and our love for Him? Do we hide our faith? Or are we open about our faith? Do they hear our love through our words and actions toward them? See, it's real easy to stand on a street corner and shout at people as they go by, you're going to hell. It happens all the time. It's quite a different thing to live in front of people and show them the love of Jesus Christ. This is what they should hear. The fruit of our lips, confessing his name, saying he is Lord, he is Savior, and then they need to see our lives In our lives, actions of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you shall be my witnesses. Go hand in hand. And we must thankfully let the world know what we have found in Jesus Christ. We have received the greatest gift of all, folks. If you know Christ, you have received the greatest gift of all. 
we now can call God Father. We are brothers and sisters, not as a formality of a title we use. We are part of the family of God. And every group around this world that confesses the Lord Jesus, they're part of that family too. I come from a big family. I had a lot of aunts and uncles and cousins. But folks, I'm part of a bigger family. The body of Christ. And we are to be letting the world do know this. We must speak and live our thankfulness out loud. You see, the problem with just saying, I'm going to let my life be my testimony, the problem with that, your life isn't telling somebody they need God. It may just be saying, that's a nice guy. It needs to be more. In doing so, we have fulfilled the purpose of our pilgrimage. When we are willing to recognize that we are to identify with Jesus Christ going outside of the camp, when we realize that we have a new home that we are longing for, when we realize that we are to sing that sacrifice of praise, let the fruit of our lips confess His name, and not just here where it's safe, but in a world that needs it desperately, we begin to understand we really, really have a reason to thank God. We're thankful for a sacrifice and what it can mean for us. Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you will know Johnny's story. A terrible accident left her a quadriplegic. Uh, she learned to paint using her teeth and her head. It was amazing. She once made the same. It could have, and for a moment it looked like she was going to be a bitter woman, but Christ made his love known in her life. And she said once, a sacrifice of praise will always cost you something. It will be a difficult thing to do. It requires a trading in of our pride, our anger, and most valued of all, our human logic. We will be compelled to voice our words of praise firmly and precisely, even as our logic screams that God has no idea what he's doing. And sometimes it feels like that. Most of the verses written about praise in God's word were penned by men and women who faced crushing heartaches, injustice, treachery, slander, and scores of other intolerable situations. I'm not telling you to be thankful today because receiving the sacrifice Christ did mean there are no longer any struggles in your life. If I told you that, you're old enough to know I was lying through my teeth. Deciding to live for Christ can bring the biggest difficulties of all, sometimes within our own households. But this is what we're called to do. Being thankful that he gave his life for us, so I want to live for him. He gave his life for us so I know that this world is not the end of my story. There's something more waiting for me. And I'm thankful when he gave his life for me, he gave me something to confess and sing about. And he gave me a heart to be thankful and love today. Whatever battles you're facing, whatever struggles you're dealing with, understand, if I never had anything else to say 
about a reason for thankfulness, this is enough. Jesus loved us enough to die for us, to make us his own. So today I'm asking you to bow your heads before the Lord. And I want you to just take a couple of minutes of just saying thank you, Lord. Thank you when I least deserved it. You gave yourself for me. Thank you when I was at war with the Father. You loved me in my sin and said, I don't want to leave you there. Thankful, God, that you gave me a reason, a purpose to live out my life. To bring glory to your name and to show others the way. Be thankful to God today for all that Christ has done.